Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. This is where success happens. A member of the industry syndicate, Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. What are you gonna get out of me this morning? Well, one thing you're not gonna get is anything that is politically correct, all right? I figure at the loss of a leg in defense of this country, I can say what I wanna say, all right? Secondly, what you're gonna get is you're gonna get the truth. It's coming out of here. It's not something that I read in a textbook. It's not something that I went and studied. It's something that I've actually been through and experienced in life and figured out a way to make it work. And it wasn't always easy. I, um, I come from a very, very colorful background. Um, I was born and raised in a small town, uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. There's a football team there. Yes, there we go. I'm sure there's an Auburn fan out there somewhere. Yes. Oh, my God, Sam, really? Dude. Oh, the banjo. Yeah. And so growing up there, it's like a, it's, it's a small fishbowl. There wasn't a whole lot I could get away with. Uh, my parents knew most everybody in town, and, of course, they knew who I was. And you see, when I was about 12 years old, my dad basically enlisted me as an indentured servant in his self-employed business of the jewelry business, all right? If the laws today had been enacted back then, he probably would have gotten in trouble for child labor violation laws or whatever. That's just how hard he worked me. But what he allowed me to do was understand I wanted nothing to do with his business in life. All right? He's thinking that he's setting me up to take over this business and all that. The only thing I got out of that thing was an affection for watches. All right? And that's a problem if you don't budget yourself right because it will cost you an arm and a leg at some point in time. All right? So that's all I got out of that. But that was a good thing because it allowed me to move on in life. But, you see, my parents were divorced. They still had a pretty good relationship. But my first hardship in life came along when I was 19 years old. Actually, I was 18 years old and about to be 19. I was a senior in high school. I had the opportunity to go and play college football, and that's all I wanted to do. That was what I had my mind set on. And then all of a sudden, I find out that my mother has been diagnosed with a terminal illness setback a little bit. I wasn't mature enough to understand exactly how that was going to impact my life. But what I did know was that I had been raised to understand that family meant everything. And so I, I had to make a decision. I was either going to be selfish and do what Chad wanted to do, or I was going to help take care of my mom. So I chose to help take care of my mom. I was very bitter about that decision for a long time because I had given up my dream. I had given up what I wanted to do. And so I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself. And then the old proverbial senior trip comes up. Who all took a senior trip when you were in high school? Yeah, look at those hands. Yeah. It's like you go one last time, and then when you come back, you're all of a sudden an adult, right? That's what it's designed for. Well, if you lived in Alabama, it meant you went down to the coastline of Florida for your senior trip. So we take off. We go down to the coast of Florida. We got enough money for about three or four days down there. And the guys come up, and they're like, hey, we're about to run out of money. So we signed you up for this competition. And they're like, if you can win this competition, we can stay for like three or four more days. I said, no problem, man. I never asked what they had signed me up for. Right? First, first thing you need to understand, if your friends tell you they signed you up for something, find out what they signed you up for. All right? But they knew my personality. I was the type A, adrenaline junkie. Just You couldn't dare me to do something that I wouldn't do. 
Friday night rolls around. They say, hey, it's time to go. We load up in the vehicle. We drive down to this location. It was a nightclub. It was 18 to get in, 21 to drink. And as I look on the marquee, it dawns on me what they signed me up for. Ladies, it fits fit fast and forward. Sales mastery, we have a thing called integrity. All right, we're about to test that. Who in here has seen Magic Mike? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what they signed me up for, an amateur competition. All right? So I go in this thing. I do my thing, and I end up winning. All right? Yes. Sam is all over it this morning. So I go in, and I win $1,500 a grand prize. So now we get to stay for like three or four more days, and I become the hero of the senior trip. Yeah. So I go back home, and then it's reality sets in. You know, for some reason, I had the desire to go to college. I don't know why. All right? My motto in school was C's get degrees, and I ran the whole time like that. But both my parents had put themselves through college, and, you know, I went back and I said, hey, Dad, you know, how does this work? And he goes, well, you figure out how to make it work. So I'm sitting there, a little entrepreneurial mind going, I go, well, maybe I'll just work on Friday and Saturday nights and then help take care of my mom, and then I'll go to school, and I'll just make this work. So that's what I started doing. So I get this phone call one night, and this lady goes, hey, uh, I understand that you entertain. I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She goes, I need to hire you. I said, okay, when? She said, tomorrow night. I said, nah, I said, I don't do last minute. She goes, I tell you what, I'll pay you double what you normally make. I said, what's your address? So I start writing this address down. She goes, hold on, hold on. She goes, there's a catch. I said, okay, what's the catch? She goes, you got to come dress like Superman. I said, not a problem. I said, I got the costume in the closet, the boots to match. I'll be there. So Superman dons his outfit, starts heading down to this event, all right? As I walk in, I see this huge table in the middle of this deal, and there's 62 women at a bachelorette party. And Little Superman music there, I like it, I like it. So Superman sees this table, and he goes, thinks to himself, all right, I'm going to go from that chair to the table, I'm going to do my thing, and I'm out of here. So as I come in, Velcro starts popping, hit the chair, go to get up on the table. I did not realize these ladies have been partying for about two hours prior to me getting there. And there's all these little water rings on top of the table. And you got it. Superman's feet hit the table, hit the water, Boom. Both feet come out from under me. I hit my head on the side of the table and knock myself out cold. You can't make this up. Yes, very much so, Sam. Yes, absolutely. And so I wake up, and there's paramedics standing over the top of me, and there's ladies standing there just kind of giggling, and thank God there was no social media at that point in time. Yeah, you got it. So it dawns on me, I may need a career change. So... What does a guy with adrenaline and type A personality want to go do? I want to go be a sheriff's deputy. So I know the sheriff very well. Go down and see him and go, hey, I, this is what I want to do. He's like, fine. So he sends me to the academy. I graduate. I'm now going to, to school during the day, and I'm working the midnight shift at the sheriff's office. And I am having a ball, the time of my life. And so things could not be going better for me at this point in time. Go out one night doing my job, pull this car over, walk up. Hey, ma'am, I, I need to see your driver's license and registration. She looks at me and she goes, 
Oh, I know what you're about to do. I said, uh, no, ma'am. I said, this is a real badge, and this is a real gun, and you're going to get a real ticket. And she goes, oh, I've seen you before. Talk dirty. I said, oh, God. She said, I'm going to thank my husband when I get home. I said, he ain't got nothing to do with this. So, so then it dawns on me that I may need another career change because nobody's going to take me serious in the law enforcement community. All right? So, so what gives me the credibility to stand up here and talk to you today as an industry, as a room full of leaders, as a room full of elite people in the mortgage industry? Well, I'm not just a guy with a military story. I'm not just a combat veteran with a story of this is what happened to me and, oh, by the way, you should take on this mindset and you should go out and, and do these crazy things. No, I, what I haven't told you is, while I was in college as a deputy doing all this other stuff, I saw the opportunity to start a business. And so I did. And the business, business became very successful, way faster than I ever thought it would. And so when I got ready to graduate college, I had to make a decision. For some reason, I always wanted to go and serve this country. I came from a long history of military service to this country. My grandfather was in World War II. My dad was in Vietnam. It's something that I wanted to do. And I knew that if I didn't take that opportunity for myself, that at some point in time later, I would regret that. And so I sold that business and, and enlisted. I went down to the recruiter's office. I was still in my sheriff's uniform, and I said, hey, I want to enlist. And the guy goes, hey, wait a minute. He goes, you got a college degree. He goes, let me put you in as an officer. I said, no, nah, that's not what I want to do. I want to go have fun. I want to learn. If I later decide I want to be an officer, then I'll go to officer candidate school and I'll, I'll go that route. So he says, okay, and he agrees. Well, this was prior to 9-11. So as my fellow veterans in here will tell you, there's a lot of dumb things the military can figure out for you to do on a daily basis when there's not a lot going on. And so I questioned myself daily why I made that decision. I went from a very comfortable life to, man, this sucks, all right? And then 9-11 happens. So after 9-11 kicks off, 18 days later, my unit was on an aircraft headed into Afghanistan, jumping out of the back of an aircraft into Afghanistan, doing an airborne operation. So things got very real very fast. And after several deployments, no issues, a lot of hairy situations, and the special operations community you only deploy for 90 to 110-ish days. And the reason why is because you cannot keep up with the operational tempo. You're so busy every single day that they know it will wear you out if you stay much longer. So that's why the deployment cycles are so short, but you're going every six months. So it's still a pretty, it's, it's a very high-paced atmosphere. So after doing this, going these times downrange, things happening, very, very bad situations, you start to come out with this sense of invincibility. You start to come out thinking, hey, either I'm really that good, sprinkle a little bit of luck on top of that, and this is the recipe you get. But what you don't realize is it's not you. It's not you that's lucky. It's not you that's so good. It's your teammates. It's the people that are to your right and to your left. So as we continue to deploy, go on one other deployment, we're 18 hours away from coming home. 18 is kind of my number. Um, 18 hours away from coming home. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, we were in the gym. We were working out. This is 2005. Uh, my pager goes off. 
for the millennials, that was a little black box that was about this big that had numbers across the top back in the day. I'm just kidding, not really. But so my pager goes off, and I'm like, all right, who's playing a joke? So I go into the tactical operations center, and I'm like, okay, what's up? And the commander looks at me, and he says, hey, no, seriously. He goes, the number two bad guy is in Iraq, and he's coming from the north to the south. You need to get your guys, and you need to go out and get this guy. And I said, hold on, time out, sir. I'm like, it's the middle of the day. I'm like, we, we do our stuff at night. We don't go out during the day. He goes, yeah, but this guy is very important. You got to go get him. So okay, well, secondly, sir, most of our equipment's already packed up because we're ready to go. There, there's a plane coming in to get us. And he goes, yeah, you guys know the area better. I like working with y'all. want you to go out. I did everything I could that day to talk him out of sending us. And at the end of the day, as my fellow veterans will tell you, at some point in time, you just go, Roger that, sir, and you walk out and you go do what you're supposed to do. So that's what we did. It's about 130-something degrees that day, um, miserable, long sleeves, body armor, the whole nine yards. And, um, and we're trying to find this guy. With about 45 minutes of fuel left, I called back and I said, hey, sir, we got about 45 minutes left and we got to come home. He goes, okay, make one more pass, and if you don't get this guy, we'll bring you home. Roger that, sir. So we make one more pass. As we come down off an exit ramp, we turn left to go underneath a bridge overpass. As we did, we've been in the area for so long that the enemy's not dumb. They, they know what you're doing. They figured it out, and unbeknownst to us, they had set up an ambush. So when we turn left to go underneath that bridge overpass, an Iraqi taxi cab pulled out in front of the lead vehicle. When he did, that driver hit the brakes. That is not what he was trained to do. He should have rammed that vehicle and continued driving that day, but for some reason he didn't. When he hit the brakes, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> when he hit the brakes, <clears throat> it left my vehicle exposed underneath the overpass. That was the initiation of the ambush. The bad guys popped up on top of the bridge. They had the high ground. They began shooting AK-47s, rocket-propelled grenades, hand grenade, you name it, they had it, and they were just raining down on top of us. Right after this is initiated, I hear this sound come inside of my vehicle, and it goes, tink, tink, tink. And by the time it registers in my head what it is, it's a grenade, and it goes off. It was about that far from where I was in the vehicle. So now there's mass confusion. Vehicle's filled with smoke. Uh, you hear people screaming. You hear guys screaming. Don't know if anybody's dead. Don't know how bad anyone's injured. But what I do know is it's a really bad day. And as soon as that starts to register and I can comprehend that, I hear tink, tink, tink for a second time. Another grenade comes inside the vehicle and it detonates. So now two, two grenades have detonated inside of an enclosed vehicle about that far from where most of us were. So now it's mass chaos. The problem is we couldn't even communicate with the other vehicles to tell them just how bad it was for us. But what I'm telling you is every single one of us have this thing in us called fight or flight, and it works. And that day we were like, okay, we're not going out like this. We've got to figure out a way out of here. So we make our way out of the vehicle immediately into a very nasty gunfight. And still hadn't really registered on how bad I was injured or even how bad some of the other guys were injured at that point in time. But it wasn't long after that until I started to realize, okay, this, this bad day is now going to be a really, really bad day. And about the time that starts to register, I feel this sensation like somebody took a, a hot molten sledgehammer and came up and just hit me in the side of the leg with it. And now I realize I've been shot. So now it's a really bad day. So I'm calling on the radio, hey, docs, hey, doc, come 
get over here. The docs call back and they're like, can't do it. Gunfight's too hot, too intense. Self-aid, buddy aid. Either fix yourself or hope that your buddy next to you can help fix you. We'll get to you when we can. So I look down and it dawns on me just how bad my injuries are. So I end up putting a tourniquet on myself um, and I have to get back into the fight. You can't, in a gunfight, you just can't quit. You can't stop. Why? Because your teammates to your right and left, they want to go home too. And if you quit, then you fail your team. So make my way back up, continue in this gunfight for a little while, and then start to lose consciousness, start to start to pass out, black out from shock and from loss of blood. So now things really start going, man, this is really a bad day. And then I hear on the radio, they're calling in for the helicopters for the medevac unit to come get us. And they say, nope, we can't do it. Until the gunfight stops, we can't get in there to get you guys. So you're gonna have to bring them back by ground. When I heard that, I remember how long it took to get there. I remember how hot it is, miserable. They jab me with some morphine. I start to smile. They start to give me this, they take this lollipop to my finger and I'm thinking, man, why, why I didn't make a deposit at the bank. Why am I getting a lollipop on my finger? Well, it was some real good pain meds, all right? And the reason they tape it to your finger is so when you pass out, it falls out of your mouth and you don't OD. So now I'm seeking pink bunnies and yellow unicorns, and I'm like, dude, this must be what Woodstock was like. This is good. And so 